very long Bible reading today. <coughs> Crossing the sea. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was a shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Hahiroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Sevon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Hairoth opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites, looked, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in a desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. 
and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel, Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar, the pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Morning, everyone. My name is Jared and I'm the pastor here and it's wonderful to have you with us this morning. It's my privilege to preach God's word to us, so let's come to him in prayer. Lord, thank you that you are the sovereign ruler of all things. Thank you that you are almighty and all-powerful. Thank you that you parted the Red Sea, that your people Israel, who had for so long been slaves in the land of Egypt, could walk through on dry ground to the other side and thank you lord that you closed the sea over the egyptians who were pursuing them to kill them and that you in doing so destroyed their enemies lord thank you for doing that for them and lord thank you for us for working to destroy our ultimate enemies of sin death and the evil one thank you lord that you've done that in the death and resurrection of jesus christ Lord, help us to see today anew, as we read this passage, uh, the awesome <laughs> reality of who you are and what you've done to rescue your people. And Lord, help us never to forget that, but to remember it always. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought about who your biggest enemy is? 
Um, maybe it was more obvious in like primary school in year <laughs> one <laughs> when your best friend who had suddenly told you they were no longer your best friend <laughs> had, had, had chosen a new best friend and, and now what, what options were there? You know, have them as your, still be the or arch enemy. You know, there, there are all kinds of things. We have in our, in our world um, lots of depictions of enemies and fighting one another. We see it happening in our world. There's wars going on. You know, our movies often reflect that. Um, what I want us to think about is who are our biggest enemies? Who, who are they? And, and, and what, what makes them the biggest enemies? Um, and, and we're going to look at this um, as we work our way through. For the people of Israel, the immediate big enemy they could see was, was Egypt, their oppressor, the slave drivers who, who owned them and who like, forced them into this bitter slavery where they, where they served for 430 years. These people who had all of the power um, from a human perspective, they, they, they just drove them into the ground. They, they, were, they were pressing them and so on. But despite all of those attempts at oppression, Yahweh, the Lord, uh, he continued to preserve and keep his people. Uh, we're going to see how that worked out for Israel. And we're also going to see as we look at that, how that's relevant to us today in light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin by looking at God's miraculous leading. Uh, if, you, if you notice that in the, that passage in the first section that we looked at um, from verse 17 uh, to 22, in that section, uh, I don't know if you picked this up, but it starts to say, God. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Now, why, why is that significant? Why, why is he saying God? Well, if you think about it, if you look back in Exodus, what name have we been seeing again and again and again and again? It's the Lord, it's, which is God's personal name, Yahweh. And he said that so many times. So if you just have a flick through Exodus at some point and you look in those original chapters, you're going to see the Lord did this. The Lord said this to Moses. It was exactly as the Lord had said. The Lord said this, I will make myself known, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And then there have been these so-called gods um, I'm using inverted commas, if, if anyone's listening, uh, that, that, uh, that, that were the, the, the idols of Egypt. Now, they were, they, were, they were called gods by the people of Egypt, but God here is not the gods of Egypt. No, there is one God, and that's Yahweh. And by the time we get to this section here, Yahweh has shown up all of the idols of Egypt for what they really are. Nothing. They can do nothing. All of these supposed idols that were supposed to rule over things like, uh, you know, the sun and the moon and the whatever and raising people from the dead are shown to be utterly powerless and can do nothing in the face of Yahweh, the Lord. And so when Moses, who writes this down, writes in this section, when Pharaoh let the people go, God, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's saying there is only one God. And that's been made abundantly clear by all of these plagues, by all of the mighty works of Yahweh. So that's significant. This God is Yahweh. We know that he's speaking of the Lord. And then you look at the way in which the Lord leads them. He leads them through a very interesting path. A sort of like, you know, when you, when you miss a turn on Google Maps and you think, what's going on now? Or you, you, you look and you think, this seems like a very convoluted way to get somewhere. I had a recent experience where um, 
I was trying to surprise my wife um, by going, us going to visit um, her twin sister and brother-in-law. And um, I'd told the brother-in-law, but uh, his wife and my wife, the twins, didn't know. And we thought, oh, this would be nice. Um, I forgot to look up how to get there. <laughs> and we've been there many, many times. They live in Netherlands somewhere. And I got completely lost. And it was kind of awkward because I couldn't really have the navigation on my phone up, up on the on the on the dash so that Kelcher could then see where we were going so I, I would I would turn the car off stop over to the side look at the map try and work out what's going on start the car again and then you know a few minutes later realize no that wasn't the right turn I don't know how I missed it again anyway <laughs> this is what it feels a bit like that when you look at this way in which God has led these people to this point it seems like why why are we taking them through this really strange, uh, interesting series of places to go through. Uh, well, God clearly has a plan as to why he's doing this. And he says in, in verse 17, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So there was war or there was potential war that was going to be there. And so if they went to the Philistine country, they may have been tempted to go back to Egypt. And so that's why God was not going to lead them that way. It's interesting that later they still end up being tempted to go back to Egypt, but God didn't lead them to a place where they would be right faced with war. Rather, he led them to the sea. And uh, this, this, the way that he did it is miraculous. You see how God leads them? He leads them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that do not depart from the people there miraculously showing the people where to go. Uh, they weren't just kind of sucking their thumb and hoping they were knowing where God wanted them to go. They had direct, easy to see, visible representation of exactly where Yahweh, where God wanted them to be. And so they followed uh, where, where he, he guided them. And uh, the way in which he guides them uh, is reminds us that God does still guide us today. Uh, you know, God, God is, he is God. He, he rules over all things. He's ordered his world uh, and he is sovereignly making all things work towards his plan. And he guides us with his word and he guides us by his spirit. Uh, and so if you, if you're wondering, does God still lead and guide today? Yes. Yes, he does. He does it through his word and by his spirit. So um, come to God in his word, talk to him in prayer um, and, and, and realize that the same God who rescued the people there is, is the same God who, who leads us and guides us today. It's not always going to look like, you know, a massive pillar of fire and um, pillar of cloud, but God is still with us. And if you know and love Jesus, he is alive in your heart. He is, he is present in your heart by, by his spirit. So when, when we look at, look at this section, another couple of quick things that I just want to mention is uh, we've got reference back to Joseph. Now, if you know a bit of the story, Joseph had been sold to some Midianite traders who then kind of dumped him in Egypt. And it was that he, he was kind of how the people of Israel ended up in Egypt in the first place. His brothers were jealous of him. And so they sold him to some traders and then they passed him on to the Egyptians. Uh, Joseph, who was a slave, worked his way up to be Pharaoh's uh, second in command. And, um, and because of Joseph, the people of Israel had favor there uh, in Egypt a long time before this. Uh, and, and, and through that, they, they were able to get food and, and provisions so that they wouldn't starve during a famine. 
that's kind of how the people of Israel ended up in Egypt. But then uh, these a Pharaoh rose, Joseph died, and then a Pharaoh rose up who didn't know Joseph, and everything started to unravel, and the people were there still in slavery. But what's interesting here is Moses has the bones of Joseph, and so Joseph, whose bones were were going to be taken um, to to where the next place they were going, um, is he, he they've got his bones, and so. This is the same people of Israel that God brought into Egypt as the same people of Israel he's bringing out. And, um, and he hasn't forgotten about them. Uh, and then also just want to say uh, that the way, the where that God leads them to, uh, we could describe as between a rock and a hard place. Like the, the place that God sends them to is uh, not to the Philistine country, um, but it's deliberately to this place which is really hard. Um, so if you look at some of those words, they're basically between an Egyptian fortified city and watchtower and the sea, which is like, if you were thinking, how am I going to, you know, get out of here without <laughs> being seen, you probably wouldn't go that way. You, you wouldn't want to go somewhere which seems so vulnerable to the people who've just been your slave drivers and oppressors for so long. Um, these people, the Egyptians weren't stupid. Um, they, they, they were... Militaristically very smart, and so seeing something like this, they would think, "We've got him. This is this is this is all we need." You know, the, these people are crazy. Why did they go to the the edge of the ocean and and right between where we've got uh, reinforcements and settlements, and we can just bring in and go and obliterate them all, or capture them and take them back as slaves? So we've got to ask, well, why? Why would God send His people uh, deliberately? To this place, why? Why? Um, why would he want them to be in this challenging situation? And we see another reason given to us, uh, in addition to the one about not going to the Philistines, and it's that Yahweh is going to harden Pharaoh's heart one more time, and he's going to get glory over Pharaoh, and Yahweh's name is going to be made known. So, what we've been seeing throughout the book of Exodus so far that Yahweh, that's God's personal name, will be made known. He will be glorified. And Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians following after him are going to be uh, gotten glory over by the Lord. And that's what God's been promising. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. And, and Yahweh is going to harden Pharaoh's heart to make that happen. Uh, when, when circumstances are difficult, Yahweh is still in control and sovereignly leading. He's ordering all things for his good purposes, glorifying his name and working for the good of those who love him. And that's true whether or not we're in extremely difficult circumstances or whether times are very, very good. Yahweh is still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still leading everything to his good purpose for his glory and for the good of those who love him. Has anyone seen the movie, uh, The Three Amigos? Um, okay, cool. A few people. I'll give you a brief rundown. Essentially, it's uh, three guys who are actors um, who play in uh, different, I think, like Western movies in in this in the context of this movie. And um, very meta, I know. And uh, these these three actors get a telegram from this poor lady and her son. I can't remember exactly where from. I think it might be Mexico. And they get this telegram, and they don't have enough money 
to, to pay for all of the words. So they omit certain words from the job description that they send to the Three Amigos. And having seen the Three Amigos on TV they, and on the movies and things, they think, wow, you know, these, these are some warriors who can come and help us with the Mexican drug cartel that's trying to kill us. <laughs> and so, so they, they send a telegram and some of the words that get omitted were pretty important to know that this was not an acting job at all. Um, and so they, they, they get there, um, they still think it's, it's pretty funny, they still think that, that it's an acting job and it becomes apparent over the course of the film that it's not. Uh, but, but one of the things that happens is um, the, the main guy, uh, Steve Martin, you may know him from Cheaper by the Dozen. He, he, says, uh, he, he says, you know, I think this is towards the end. Everyone is fighting their own El Guapo. Now, El Guapo is the big bad guy in the movie. And he's like, for us, it's a big scary guy who's trying to kill us. <laughs> but everyone's fighting their own El Guapo is, is his term. And essentially, I think that what we see in that, that movie is that circumstances get difficult for people in a variety of different ways. For the people of Israel... The immediate circumstances were they had their own El Guapo in the form of Pharaoh and the Egyptians who were trying to kill them. Uh, we may endure difficult circumstances that may not look like that. Um, but, and it doesn't mean that God will always set us free from those circumstances either. He doesn't promise to do that. But what he does tell us is that he's on the throne and he's ruling. And he's bringing it to bring his name glory and his people good. Even if that good, we don't see until the life to come. But we do know that we can trust him because he's ordered all of these things according to his plans and his purposes, and he will continue to do the same today. He is still in control, still on the throne, glorifying his name and working for the good of those who love him. The next section, Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, when a hostage develops a bond with his or her captor, we call that Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, that, that term was, was coined by a criminologist who was looking into a case of a, a bank robbery that happened in Sweden many years ago. Um, and, and in that bank robbery, these guys uh, took six hostages and, and kept them in a, in a bank vault. And then afterwards, uh, when the police were trying to get these hostages to testify against the, the captors, um, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't at all. And, um, and they explored that and thought, well, why is that? And got into all of that. And basically, they had developed a bond between the people who had uh, been caught and the people who had kidnapped them. Now, this is sort of like that. Not exactly the same, but on an even deeper level. Because you see what happens here with the people of Israel is that they're so paralyzed by fear of their enemies that they want to do what is absolutely unthinkable. And they want to go back to slavery in Egypt. They, th they think that would be better than being set free. Whatever, whatever the, the circumstances are being set free, they think, you know what? We can actually go back and go back to where we've been slaves. You know, the, the place that, that God had just rescued them from, where they were for 430 years where they were slaves. Remember the place where they would beat them and treat them with utter disdain and tell them to make bricks without straw and, and, and try to kill all of the male children. That place, they think, you know what? Why don't we go back there? We had it better there. Isn't that crazy? Like, absolutely nuts. 
Why would you want to go back to slavery? If we think about the stories of slavery in modern, like early modern times, there's no one would want to go back to slavery. Why? Why would you want to do that? Uh, and it's because it's because of their sin. They they fail to see what God has done for them, and they fail to see that God is the loving, gracious ruler and provider. And so instead, they look for what's familiar. They look for what's familiar to them, even though it's not good for them. And they they would rather go back to Egypt uh, than than face being crushed by the Egyptians um, as the Egyptians come to pursue them. They they ask Moses in in what seems like a super sarcastic way, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you you brought us out here to kill us? Uh, And and they'll keep saying this. You'll see that as we work through Exodus. It becomes kind of a rallying cry, sadly. Um, And so they they make these, these statements where they ask, you know, why? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They think that their, their fate or destiny in the wilderness is death. And they think that going back to Egypt would be safe. How quick they were to forget the perils of the slavery they faced in Egypt. How quick we can be to forget the, the perils of our slavery to our sin. You see, we aren't slaves to Egypt, but by nature... Each and every one of us is a slave to sin. That's what Jesus tells us. He tells us that by nature, we're all slaves to sin. Not Jesus, but each and every one of us. And when we realize that, we realize the parallels that are going on here. How easy can it be for us to to face something, to see a fear, to see something difficult and go, I want to go back to what's familiar, even though it's not good. You know, it could be anything. It could be anything from greed to lust to watching pornography to uh, stealing to all sorts of different things that, that can happen in, and, and because of our sin. Uh, and when we do that, it's like we're being like the Israelites saying, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to where I was enslaved. It's like, here are my hands, put the shackles back on me. It's not good. It's the worst possible thing we could do. And if it was crazy for the people of Israel, how much more so is it crazy for us? You know, we, we, we have even more fuller revelation of who God is. We've been set free from slavery to sin, not merely slavery to a captor like Egypt. And yet we can still find ourselves tempted. And so we must flee from all temptation. And we must never go back to slavery. So where where to then? Where from there? Moses in verse 13 said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Uh, Do you remember back a few chapters ago, Pharaoh said to Moses, uh, when you see me again on that day, you'll die. Uh, It's actually the other way around. (laughs) When when you see Moses on that day, you're going to die, Pharaoh. And Yahweh is going to get glory over you and all of the Egyptians. 
The Lord says in verse 15 to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, go forward. Now, at that point, before you've heard the rest of it, and just forget for a moment that we all know exactly what's going to happen in the, in the, in the rest of the account. <laughs> Where? <laughs> like, just, just think about that. You're standing on, on the edge of the, of the Red Sea. You've got the Egyptians behind you. And the Lord says, why are you crying out to me? Just go forward. And you're going to think, in the sea? <laughs> like, you know, you see, you see why we, we could call this between a rock and a hard place? It's like, if we go that way, we're going to die. If we go that way, we're going to die. So, you know... Uh, Looks like we're going to die. That's 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 the way it looks. Uh, but but then but then God says this in verse sixteen: Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on what? On dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You see, Yahweh will get glory over them. He will harden their hearts, and he will make his people walk through the sea on dry ground. He saves them through the heart of the sea. Now, Moses must have cried out to the Lord because the Lord says to him, why did you cry out to me? Um, But the Lord's response makes it clear. What Moses is to do, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wow. That's awesome power. And it's not Moses's power. It's Yahweh's power. He's the one who divides the the Red Sea. He splits it in two. Uh, he, He sends this wind to blow it over. Uh, to separate it, and he's going to make it the water, a wall on one side on their left and on their right, walls on both sides of them. Yahweh isn't faced by this perilous situation that the Israelites are facing. No, he isn't faced at all because he's in exact control over what, of what's going on. Uh, he protected his people uh, from, the, from, the, from the Egyptians who were pursuing him, pursuing them. And we can see that in the pillar um, of, of cloud, moving from before Israel to behind Israel, uh, before b- between them and the Egyptians. So they, if you, you remember the pillar of cloud and fire that has been guiding the people where they ought to go, now the pillar moves behind them and confuses the, the people, um, the Egyptians, with, with, what, with all sorts of... They are in utter confusion. I sounded a bit confused then. The Egyptians were even more confused. <laughs> uh, they had no idea what was going on. Uh, and so what we see here is Moses then in this time before, before he listens to God, he stretches out his hand and then Yahweh the Lord drove the sea back, separated it by a strong east wind all night. And then we see this awesome display of power. He separates it so that the people can walk through on dry ground. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that the people were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the water. And this corresponds to our baptism, where we go through the water signifying the reality that we've died with Christ and been raised with Him. We've been washed clean by the Lord. You see, when you, when you think about the people of Israel going into the, the sea, you know, that would be 
to die. But because of God's intervention, they go through it and they come out alive on the other side. For us, our baptism points to the reality that Jesus Christ died and then he came out the other side alive, really raised from the dead to a bodily resurrected life, never to die, never to perish again. Yahweh destroys the enemies. The Egyptians went in after the people of Israel and Yahweh threw them into the state of panic, confusion and commotion, coming upon them in the pillar of cloud and fire, throwing off their chariot wheels. So they're all jamming up. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. You see what happened there? I'll read it to you again, verse 25. Let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. They know. Yahweh's name is known, just as he said it would be. His name is known. He has gotten glory over them. They see that he is the one who's in control, that he's the one who's been doing this. They, they've seen him do so many plagues, uh, and now they see him part the sea and see, see him in the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, confuse them and send them into confusion to fight for the people of Israel. Yahweh then tells Moses to stretch out his hand again. And as he does that, he, Yahweh closes the sea over the Egyptians, throws them into the midst of the sea, and not one of them remained. Uh, Pharaoh, who had sought to drown the Israelite baby boys and wipe out their nation, now finds himself drowned and his nation wiped out. All of those who came in after him into the, into the sea. And there it says, Thus Yahweh saved Israel from the Egyptians. And one of those key phrases there is Yahweh fights for them. You see, what we get when we look at this passage is we, we get an insight into who God really is, don't we? We, we? we see that He is the great and glorious and almighty ruler, creator, sovereign Lord over it all. It all belongs to Him. He rules over it all and He orders it all. You see, He's not worried by any of the circumstances. He's in control of all of the circumstances. He isn't, he isn't uh, worried that his plan's not going to come to pass. No, he knows for certain his plan will come to pass. He's not uh, worried that his name won't be glorified. No, he knows his name will be glorified. He knows his name will be known. And he knows the Egyptians will know and the Israelites will know. And he fights for his people and he destroys their enemies. You see, those who sought to destroy... God's people, Israel, God destroyed. Those who, who, who wanted to, to bring them to nothing, God brings them to nothing. You see, Yahweh saved Israel from the Egyptians. He did it miraculously. He parted the sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. And then he closed it over, destroying their enemies. And do you notice who's doing all of this stuff? Like, yes, there's a, there's, a, there's a role for Moses to lift up the staff, but it's Yahweh who's doing the actions. It's Yahweh who parts the sea. It's Yahweh who closes the sea. It's Yahweh who fights for them. And, you know, we, we can't do anything to save ourselves, can we? We need Yahweh to fight for us. And that's exactly what He's done in Jesus Christ. You see, we... We, we find ourselves 
justly under a sentence of condemnation and death for our rebellion against God. The fact that we, we say to God, you know, we don't want you, we just want the stuff you can give us. The fact that we try and grasp at his role, the fact that we try and elevate ourselves and, and rob him of his glory, that we want to be uh, known, we want to make a name for ourselves. All of those things that we do are different ways of describing our sin. And it's the universal human condition apart from one person who is Jesus Christ. And he, and he alone is our hope. He alone is the only one who can save us. He alone is the only one who can make us right before God. And he alone is the only one who can destroy our ultimate enemies, our enemies. Only he can destroy them. When, uh, when people were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah about 2,000 years ago, um, and in the lead up to that as well. The people wanted a warrior. They were looking for someone who was going to come in and overthrow the Romans and establish the kingdom. And, you know, let's get set up in the temple. Let's get it all, all going and, and firing here and now. And let's have the kingdom here. Isn't it interesting that they weren't thinking big enough? There's a warrior, Jesus Christ. But he didn't come to just destroy the Romans or some oppressor that we have here and now. No, he came to deal with the very source, sin, death, and the devil. He came to uh, expose and ashamed and destroy our ultimate enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And he did it in the most amazing way possible. He did it by dying. And we go, what? How does that make any sense? Because on the cross, Jesus took on our sin. He took on all of what we've done that is evil, uh, that all, all of the, the, the things that we've done that deserve death. He took it on himself and he nailed it to that cross. And then he rose powerfully from the dead, never to die again, destroying our enemies. Not just a local oppressor here and now, but the ultimate enemies, sin, death, and the devil. Enemies that when we face... We can often feel powerless against, can't we? We think, you know, when we lose a loved one, and we can feel just, what, how, how, can, how do we even cope with that? And we, can, we can get to a place of despair, can't we? But Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the devil. And so all of those who know Jesus are not lost, but they will be with us forever when we praise him together in the new creation. And finally, look at what happens at the end. In verse 30, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. See, they'd gone from fearing their enemies to fearing the Lord. You know, they, they'd seen the evidence. It's hard for us to imagine what that would be like, having been under the oppression of Egypt for so long and being slaves there, having been set free, and now you see God open the ocean so you can walk through and then close it over them, and you see them wash up dead on the seashore. You can see that God has gotten glory over them, that he has saved us, that he has destroyed the enemies. And you go, wow, 
He really did it. And when they see that, they recognize that it's because of the Lord. It's God's power. It's His great might that He worked against the Egyptians to save them. For us, we see our sin. We see, the, we see death and we see the devil defeated on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, we, we, may be, may be fear, we may be tempted to fear things other than God. But like Israel, we need to not fear everything else, but fear Yahweh. Recognize with holy reverence who He really is. This is the Almighty. This is the Creator, the Sustainer, the Ruler, the Rescuer. We mustn't fear evil. We must revere Yahweh. Do you notice that it's not our job to destroy our ultimate enemies? Do you see that? In the same way that Yahweh fought for the people of Israel, He's fought for us. Jesus has already destroyed our ultimate enemies. Uh, our response is to, to fear Him, to believe Him, to trust Him. Because He's already destroyed our ultimate enemies of sin, death, and the devil. Have you ever um, had a fly in your house and then you saturate that thing with mortine? Like, so then it does this weird, like, and, and it just like flying all over the place um, and it just goes ballistic, uh, trying to bring everything down with it. That's what Satan's like. He's been dealt the death blow by Jesus going to the cross. His, his, his power has been broken. He can, he's still active and working in, in this life and in this world now. But his end is, is set. Like he will be going into the, to the, the lake of fire and the judgment. And, and that, that is all, all definitely going to happen. So like that fly that tries to bring everything down with it, that's sort of what he's like. You know, it's, it's, it, he's been dealt the death blow. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He, he dealt sin, death and the devil with the death blow. The, the war has been won, although there are battles that still rage. So for us, what is there to do? Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord who brought his people through the Red Sea. Look to the Lord who put to death our sin on the cross and realize what he's done for us. Uh, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. Starting verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Amen. Let's pray together. Yeah, Lord, we, we come to you. Uh, we are humbled when we look at your majesty. When we, when we look at your awesome power and might and glory, uh, we, we, we get an idea of our place, Lord. You are glory beyond our comprehension. Uh, and and we, we have nothing to recommend ourselves to you. We, we could do nothing to save ourselves. We desperately need you. So, Lord, we come to you. 
as sinners, as beggars. Confessing, Lord, by nature we are slaves to sin. Uh, and, and so often, if we're honest, we can, we can want to go back there. Lord, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Change us. Help us to see that, that we aren't owned by our sin anymore. We're owned by you. And you are our master. And we live for you, to glorify you. Lord, forgive us for all of our striving for our own glory. Help us, Lord, to have a countercultural approach where we don't make things about ourselves, but make everything about you. Lord, help us to put to death our sin by the work of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's you who wills to work it in us. And Lord, help us, we pray, to proclaim this amazing news that you are offering salvation to the ends of the earth, which includes High Wycombe and the surrounding areas. So Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on us, on our families, on our friends, on our community, on our world. Lord, thank you that you have destroyed our ultimate enemies and that you alone are our hope, our joy, our peace, our salvation, our rescuer. We turn to you now. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.